millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Bill, how you doing? Not bad, Tim. Not bad. How's it going? I'm all right. JB is is going to join us at some point, and I want to leave where where he is and what he's up to as a mystery until JB arrives, because I'm sure you'll agree that it will be quite entertaining to listen to. Knowing what we know, it will be. Uh, <laughs> JB, JB hates holidays unlike <laughs> anyone or anything I've ever seen. It's it's remarkable. It is. Uh, but speaking of which, where are you? Where's the Egg Chasers TMO shipping container? Uh, my TMO shipping container has been transported to a lovely little village in Snowdonia, North Wales, um, not too far from the foot of Snowdon. Um, so I'm I'm here for a week with a family, enjoying myself. Beautiful. Right? Did you get? Did you watch rugby in amongst all that? I did. I've so I kind of managed to watch a bit of every game live, but because I was either in transit or trying to juggle. Um, kids or trying to walk up a mountain um, it's, it's it's been a little bit patchy so I've seen bits of everything live I've seen all of the highlights but I'm probably not as um, in-depth as I should be for this well no I just want to emphasize the commitment to making sure there is this podcast for you every single week for nearly 10 years the fact that we have well Phil and JB both on holiday we still bring it to you Phil being pulled in any number of directions and still managing to watch the rugby JB and all of the stuff that's been going on in his life for the last 24 hours, as you will hear about. And uh, we still managed to chat rugby. And uh, um, I've also courtesy of chat GPT. Uh, we have got a little limerick to open the podcast with Phil. Incredible. I thought seeing as I was in Dublin, um, let's open with a limerick. Uh, this is chat GPT. I just said, I asked it to write me a li- limerick to introduce the Egg Chasers podcast. And it came up with, there once were three rugby gurus whose podcast was quite the allurous. That doesn't, hold on. There, w- <laughs> there once were three rugby gurus uh, whose podcast was quite the allurous. With Egg Chasers their name, they talk rugby with no shame and fans love the insights for sure us. <laughs> 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 the first, second, and fifth line uh, rhymes is pretty tenuous. <laughs> but other than that, I like it. Yeah. Well, the internet knows who we are and what we do anyway. Um, uh, one thing I saw in Dublin Airport that I've I've never seen before, I was queuing up at the departure gate to come back to Manchester uh, on Saturday morning, and there were a bunch of people at the departure gate queuing up to get on the plane, all with bottles of holy water out, blessing themselves and saying prayers. Wow. Never seen ah, that. 
I'm trying to think. No, I've not seen that. Um, yeah, I've definitely not seen that. Anyway, I've been to, or certainly I may have seen it, but most of my um, most of the times that I've departed uh, either Dublin or Belfast uh, via plane, I've been tremendously hungover, so I've not really been <laughs> concentrating on the on the people around me too much. I bet you did notice when you were in Dublin Airport, as I did, the incredible number of Manchester United fans that uh, are in Ireland. Absolutely astonishing! Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, um, probably these days as well. Um, a few City fans, but historically it would have been Liverpool and then lots of Manchester and and now a few more City fans, unfortunately. But as for the rugby, let me start on Friday night then, uh, and that game in Dublin. I expected. Leinster to win I think as most people did the bookies gave him an 18 point head start um, but I, I actually was quite I was thinking it was a good match up for Leicester and that they would Ooh. actually like, uh, Leinster have come unstuck with those physical teams attack the breakdown I thought I thought it was ripe for Leicester to, to push them a lot harder than it ended up being yeah and it's so I watched the first half of this live I was actually in, in driving to North Wales, um, in, so got the uh, the wife to drive, and so I was in the passenger seat. Um, and I thought for the first half, apart from the bits of Ringrose ma- magic, it was kind of a, a semi-even or relatively even for for parts of it. But it was the it was the clinicalness, wasn't it? It was the converting those half chances into into tries that um Leinster did remarkably well with with Ringrose just looking outstanding imperious in that 13 jersey um see Gary Ringrose but, was uh, he I mean all, all the Ireland boys went to his house because he wouldn't get on the piss with him and Gary Ringrose <laughs> in that 80 minute performance gave us justification for why drinking should be moderated as a professional <laughs> rugby player, because he was immense. He was awesome. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure some of the the boys who were on it heavily, even more heavily than he was, um, were were pretty good as well. But he was class. He was just absolutely class. But then it was it was the second half, wasn't it? When Leinster flexed their muscles a bit more, Leicester started to tire a bit more. Um, it was, it was and- odd that the yellow card. That sort of flipped beast mode in Le- in Leinster on. Yeah, that's an interesting observation because we have seen we've seen that before occasionally with teams where they almost realise that they are properly in a game and therefore have to start scoring some points. So that that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was very very impressed with that team. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's would you would. Good. Would you? Because I know I know JB um, is um, absolutely certain that Leinster will not win anything um, <laughs> because Ireland won. <laughs> but would you, if you're going to rank the teams based on, let's say based on everything you've seen this season, would you put Leinster top the number one ranking at the moment? Because because I think I would. I think I would. I think I would. Albeit they haven't faced a massive French team yet. Which yeah. we know from La Rochelle and we know from Toulouse can be where they come unstuck. I just think there's something about this year's team that feels, I don't know, it fit, even without Johnny Sexton and Josh van der Fleer, they, it just feels 
uh, what's the word that um, Thanos uses in uh, inevitable? It feels inevitable. <laughs> yes, I, I can see that. I'm um, obviously missing Josh van der Fleer, but um, to be able to put Kaelin Doris to um, to number seven to open side, yeah. it's quite a nice option to have. Yeah. And, and that and that is one. Well, that's maybe answered one question as well for Ireland because in terms of Ireland looking at the World Cup, there's a. We were talking the other week about so there's a couple of areas they still haven't totally nailed down, and one of them is who's going to be that that next cab off the rank on the wing because I don't think Andrew Conway is going to be back. Would it be Stockers? Could it be Robbie Balakoon? Will it be? Well, Jimmy O'Brien's on on the plane clearly with with his flexibility, but would it be Frawley who can play centre as well? I, I I don't really know that one. And the other one is, what do Ireland do if if Josh van der Fleer is not available? And possibly we saw it on Friday night. Yeah, um, that's a good option on the, on the wing. I thought O'Brien was awesome. I thought, kick, I thought his kick chase game was fantastic. His work rate was brilliant, and he finished his try perfectly. So, um, no, absolutely no complaints if he goes. And I think Stockers, I'm yet to be convinced that he is the player that he was even yeah. four or five years ago, or three, four years ago. Yeah, um, agree. And Balakoon, God, he's a good player. But again, he's had some injuries and he's just, he's since he got injured right, 12, 18 months ago, he's not really, since he's come back, he's not really shown the form that he did have. So I think either of them could go, but it's hard to make an argument that either of them are playing ahead of uh, Jimmy O'Brien at yeah. the moment. I agree oh. with you there. I agree. Um, yeah. The player production at Leinster is just frightening. It Which is like, ridiculous. Like Scott, Scott Penny disappointed not to get in the team when Josh van der Fleer is out, comes off the bench and dominates that that handoff on who did he hand off? Oh, good question. This I can't is remember which Leicester player he, ha- he handed off, but he just he just it was it's like a man against a boy. And Scott Penny's the <laughs> youngster. It was yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I think it might be Josh uh, um, Van Portfleet actually. Yeah, yeah. He's got man that, handled. It was that it was that last twenty minutes, thirty minutes, wasn't it? Where. Yeah. Um, Leicester start to tire a little bit. Their bench don't really enhance their team as much as you want them to, whereas Leinster, it's just you're bringing on more aggression, more options, uh, more experience. And so fair play to Leinster. And what's, hell, what, hell what, I, what I found amazing, um, I, I don't think it, no, it didn't make the TV broadcast because we, we went off air by the time I spoke to Leo Cullen, but he mm. was disappointed. <laughs> his interview was I, I think I just said to him you know knockout rugby is all about uh, the result but 55-24 tell me about the performance and he went well, yeah there's a, quite a few things we'll want to address with that we weren't happy with this we weren't happy with that we weren't happy with this like my goodness I mean it's a good place to be you're always improving yeah. if that's a dis- if that's a, a knockout rugby quarter final and to put 55 points on the board yeah. uh, against a good Leicester Tigers team, English champions um, with internationals right across the board. And this is not, it's not quite as strong as the Leicester team last year, I would say, but it's a remarkably strong team. Um, and to dispatch them as comfortably as they did, um, fair play. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm just I'm just going to play you. Um, uh, JB's posted a voice note uh, in, in, our, in our group. Hold on, what's he saying? I'm still oh, no, sorry. I, I listen, I'm a heathen and I listen to everything on 1.5, but anyway, I'll put it back to normal. There we go. <laughs> sorry, boys. I'm still cycling. I thought I was going to go home early in this. I might be 15 minutes late, so bear with <laughs> it. sounds like you're having a great time on holiday. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's a clue as to where JB is. Yes. Yeah, that is a, a, definitely a, a favourite pastime where where he is. He loves cycling, but, but he doesn't appear to enjoy cycling right now. <laughs> with It's because he's with his family. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, so, right. so Tim, yeah. tell me, did you did you get to have a few beers on on the Friday night in Dublin, or were you just straight on the road or straight on the plane? No, I had a couple of beers. I mean, I was I I was on the uh, seven thirty flight back to Manchester or something around that oh, okay. time. So it, was, so it was an early start, but uh, yeah. that that didn't that didn't stop us from having a couple in in the. I didn't go out in Dublin, not out out. Although, no. as I learned on Friday. Only until three years ago, you wouldn't have been able to go to Dublin on a on Good Friday and go out for a drink. It, it was the case until three, I think, three years ago, that all pubs, by law, had to be shut on Good Friday. Wow! Yeah, God, that seems like a like a throwback to a bygone era, doesn't it? I mean, it, it? it is a throwback to a bygone era, but yeah. to think it was only three years ago, wow! Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm I feel like I'm the BT Sport Leinster correspondent at the minute because I'm did the round of sixteen in Dublin, did the quarterfinals, and I'm I'm doing the semi final against Toulouse as well. Fantastic! Oh, awesome! What a game! What a game! What, what a, a game, game to be at! I know. I'm sorry. To, when I got the when I got the call earlier, I was I was like the yeah, I was like a kid at Christmas. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, you've you've got if you just. If you just looked at, say, the last three years of nominations from the Six Nations Player of the Year and the European Champions Cup Player of the Year, I, I bet half the players playing have appeared on <laughs> that list in the last few years. That's absolutely oh, right. awesome. That's a great shout. What, yeah. what a game to go to. I know. So I'm hoping that I'll make a, a bit of a night of it after that in Dublin. Anyway, that's that's the plan. But enough about my uh, social calendar. That's that's not important. Well, the re- the reason I asked was to to see if you got to watch any of the um either of the Saturday games. Uh, I did. I did. So um well, and I I watched one in, so the reason I had to get back on an early flight is because I had my parents coming up and we we met them in the Peak District at half 11 for a nice long walk up to Shining Tour and back right anyway. So we went oh. for a nice walk, nice tromp through the Peak District, which was lovely. Very nice. In, uh, in good MPA. Yeah, yeah, in the Goit. Yeah, no, oh yeah, in the Goit Valley. And um, so that, that that was happening whilst the, what was the first game that was going on? Toulouse Sharks was the Toulouse Sharks. So I did not see Toulouse Sharks live. Um yeah. but but then but then I then we made sure me and my dad made sure we got home to watch uh, Exeter uh, versus yeah. Stormers. And let, well, let's just jump to that one because there's an argument that that is I mean it's hard to say when they've won a 
they've won the European Cup, so maybe that it's hyperbole too much. But that's right up there with the greatest performances from Exeter Chiefs. When you factor in everything else that's going on outside of the rugby, and they manage to pull that performance out of themselves on the pitch. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's um, I know I, I said this last week. It was proven long wrong last week. Although um, I think a few things went in Exeter's favour last week. I mean, to to win in the manner that they did was it was a bit touch and go. But this week, when I mean, quite a good quite a good test of how a team is going to perform can be determined purely when you look at the front row. And you look at the front row battle. Yes, I know Scott Seo is an international front row and he's a very good one. But Dan Frost and Marcus Street against Kitsoff, Joseph Dweber and Franz Malherb. I mean, that has got to be one of the best, not just best club front rows in the world. That's got to be one of the best front rows you could possibly assemble in the <laughs> world right now. And you've got two very inexperienced Exeter um, front rowers against them. And I thought they were brilliant. I thought they, I thought I thought Exeter right across the park were brilliant. But I thought they they um just they the way that they manned up, the physicality they showed and the way that they put their bodies on the line against that that dominant stormers. The the, the URC champions stormers team was just remarkable. And they they actually made it a comfortable win. It was it was all Exeter. They they were was it twenty eight nil up at one point. Yeah. Um. So, so it's just it really is remarkable, especially when you look across the board. And we spoke about it last week. Just some of the lack of experience that they've got, and some of the players who are quite experienced but are not at the highs of some of the players that they had when they were winning um, uh, English Premierships, and indeed when they won the the Champions Cup. So fair play to Exeter, hundred percent. And like Tom Wyatt, for example, I um yeah, great show. I I, I I interviewed him. He got he got man of the match in the Premiership Rugby Cup semi final a couple of months back during the Six yeah. Nations. And I remember I, I chatted to him after the game, and I was asking him questions about the fact that he was playing for Taunton a couple of years ago, and <laughs> and. I think something like five years ago, like when he first came into senior rugby as an 18 year old, he was playing at level eight. Yeah. yeah. Five years ago, he's playing level eight and he's, and he's keeping Stuart Hogg out of Exeter's <laughs> team and he's looking the part. And it's, I, I don't know whether Rob Baxter just went, Oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm pissed off with these boys, not, not delivering for me or whether he kind of, whether he's made it because it feels like he's made all, all of a sudden just gone right. That's it. And have you noticed Rob Baxter's now back doing all the media stuff? It feels like ah. he's grabbed the reins and gone right. I'm not happy with this. Right, Sam Beckinsale is that his name? See, I, I see yeah. these guys are relatively yeah. unknown to me. Sam Beckinsale, yeah, yeah you, 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 you're jumping ahead. You're starting scrum off for me. I don't care about the rest. Tom Wyatt, your fullback. Don't care about Stuart, Stuart Hogg. He can sit on the bench. Not don't yeah. care, but you know what I mean. But um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean O'Brien, you're my 12 now. Um, it's uh, remarkable is the word. It really is. And in that pack, we mentioned, I mentioned Frost and Marcus Street before, but I know Jenkins and Tashunza are, they are now Welsh internationals, but they are still young men. 
they are still very young men and they don't have the experience that um, many of the Exeter boys do. They they weren't part of the Champions Cup or the the um, or something. They weren't a key part of the Champions Cup or Premiership winning sides. They are young men thrown into battle and performing, trusted and performing. I think that is a, a hell of a result because that is the one that, on paper, I thought it was the either that or the Saracens game was was the hardest to call. But I th- even the Saracens game, I thought La Rochelle were were quite comfortable favourites. But Saracens can always cause an upset, um, and for them to win, Exeter to win in the manner that they did, I thought was absolutely class. Um, so fair play is whether they can recreate it um, against La Rochelle, which is that's a repeat of the. Is it the final or the semi-final? Final when next to won it. The final when they won it. <clears throat> yeah, they beat La Rochelle yeah. in the final, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it Toulouse then La Rochelle they did? Yes. Anyway. Yes, yes, that, yes, it was, yeah. That will be that will be an even greater test, but I've, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And it does Hold on, hold on, hold on. Was it was it not Racing? It might have been Racing then La Rochelle. Yeah. I think I think they might have beaten Racing because I think the other semi-final was Racing v Saracens, or am I thinking quarter-final? Anyway, doesn't matter. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah, I think I might be getting quarter-finals and semi-finals mixed up. But um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And uh, uh, Rob Baxter came out and he was he he obviously has been very quiet, kept his counsel, and not reacted to a lot of stick that he's been getting uh, but that was the moment for him to come out and go since 20 he said since 2020 when they won the double um, people have been you know talking us down saying more and more saying we're past it over it can't do it and he just a a rare bit of raw emotion came out of Rob Baxter and absolutely loved it and and one um, anecdotal thing that I'd heard as well is that in on the I know Exeter quite well. I've gone to university there, but just just before on the way into town, there's a little uh, there's a little area called Heavertree, and it's a few so it's a good few miles away from the stadium. But the Tomahawk Chop could be heard miles <laughs> away. The crowd <laughs> were loud, and JB was talking about really hoping that the the Exeter fans turn out. There was over twelve thousand there, packed house, and what a performance! Yeah, it is awesome. And we're... I think we all have a bit of a soft spot for Exeter for, for various different reasons. So it was it was really good to see. It was awesome. Uh, let, let, let me just, uh, just go on. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just looking up. I've just got up the... Uh, it was... Oh, no, it was Exeter Toulouse in the, uh, in the final. So it wasn't La Rochelle. Exeter beat Toulouse at one point, I'm sure. Like yeah, in... extra to to lose. Is that the final? Oh no, sorry. Yeah, extra to lose in the semi-final. Yeah, extra racing in the final. Yeah, there. you were, you were right. There you go. I I only remember that because I think I was working because that was Wiggy's last game at Saracens, and uh... Uh, and I was working that game at Racing in the Thunderdome, and then I remember going back to the hotel and watching extra v to lose on. Canal Plus or whatever channel it is, they have the French TV deal. Yes. By the way, did you see that that um, that message that came through on one of our many rugby WhatsApp groups we're on together? Um, the Egg Chasers one with uh, with our Sevens team and wider 
rugby playing squad and the England versus France top leagues combined? Yes, I did. The uh, the financial situation of the two leagues. Yeah, when there's a, there's a clear disparity in the salary. This is just in case you haven't seen this. I'm, I think this looking at the font and everything. I think this was in the Times. Um, but the salary cap in England at the minute is five million. In France, it's nine. The average player salary. I, I I'm I'm with JB when he said, "Can that be right?" It says the average player salary for the Premiership is one hundred and seventy-one thousand, against two hundred and ten thousand for the top fourteen. Yeah, so I think something's gone on there. So that it doesn't sound right to me. No, but, nor me. Um, I'm not, I, I think there'll be a few types of errors because it's it's really like we've we've um, done a deep dive on this several times on the salary cap. Um, in, in past episodes in years gone by. But there's so many things that can contribute it to it because you've got the e- English qualified players, certainly in England, you've got the English qualified players um, and the academy credit system. And then you've got academy players where you can have so many players up to a maximum, I think it's 40K or 30K outside of the system. And then you've got the marquee player or two marquee players historically, which could still be grandfathered in right now. And then you get the England squad, the EPS, uh, the elite player squad um, credits as well. It's something like 80 grand per player. And also, I think this was going back to the 2020 or 2021 season. So there's so many variables, but, yeah, so the the only way you could do it is take all of the players, perhaps excluding academy players, and everything that they're paid, and divide one by the other. But right. even that, because it's so opaque, you don't really know. So you're always kind of guessing with limited information. Yeah. But it it did it seemed it seemed too much for me for for various reasons. Some of well, which I've just tried to outline. Well, certainly the more noises of people going to be making that leap to go to France seems to back up the case that it is not as close as that. Uh, average attendance, 12,500 in, in England. And and that's when you account for the big games and the the showdowns say, and all of that. Um, I was going to say, like, yeah. you, you look at, if you look at any given club, if um, Harlequins have 10 or 11 or 12 home games, but two of them are done at Twickenham in front of 60,000. And that, that'll bring their average up significantly. It's like four or five times their normal average. Uh, versus it's 14,000 for France. So, so far things look salary cap different, but things on the face of it look okay, but it's the it's the domestic television deal, which is the incredible bit. The, the English Premiership TV deal is worth 110 million pounds. And... That's that was a I think a three or four year deal, um, and that finishes next season. The French deal, by comparison, is more than three times the size, and the new deal, which kicks in for next season in France, is worth just shy of four hundred million pounds. Now, the bit that I didn't like from this graphic was it didn't tell me, and I can't remember off the top of my head that one hundred and ten compared to what was it three thirty. Yeah, that that's the total value of of the deal, and they are comparable yeah. lengths of deal. So that so you could divide that by four years, I think it is, and that's the per year well, amount. Is that well? Yeah, I was going to say because one the English one was one hundred and ten, 
over three years. So that's like whatever it's 30, 36 30, or 37 per year. Yeah, 37 million a year. Um, On the French, French ones, was, four seasons, you're right. Yeah, but it's still, it's three times bigger, but you've only got a third more time. So it's whatever it is, 70, 80 million per year compared to 37. But also 27% of the English one uh, is taken up by CVC. Before so, before Premiership teams take a single bit, their yeah. big chunk is taken away by CVC. Quite right. Yeah, which is, I mean, JB, JB was probably the loudest and most vocal about that uh, being a bad deal. It has been proven so correctly, and I, I was I hold my hands up. I was probably naively optimistic, I say, about the benefit it could bring, and. I have been proven totally wrong, and JB has been proven. Absolutely to illustrate correct. that, it was on it was on Tuesday. There was an article posted by Daniel Schofield, uh, the deputy rugby union correspondent in the Telegraph, I believe, or is it the Times? No, I think it's Telegraph. Anyway, whichever publication it was, the headline says: Premiership rugby losses double to thirty six million pounds due to CVC investment. Wow, um, which. I posted to JB and said exactly what you've just said, which is like, mate, fair play. Uh, I, and, you know, JB says some things which are, says says things which I don't agree with and occasionally is wrong. He also says things I don't necessarily agree with, uh, as in I didn't agree with, I didn't think he was accurate on it, but it turns out he was absolutely on the money and you're, you're right to point that out and I, I, will, I will remind him of it because... And this is maybe where his financial advisor head came in. He he saw things which pe- which nobody else, not even the people brokering this deal, saw coming. Yeah, well, certainly neither party brokering this deal. Yeah, no one in any they... Premiership club saw this coming. No one at, yeah, at the yeah. RFU saw it coming. No one at Prem Rugby saw it coming. And load and load. Oh, speak of the devil, he must have heard us talking about him. <laughs> he wants no. Let, let's 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 uh, not inflate his ego any more than we need to. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Jonathan Beardmore. Hello, I, I can't hear you. Hold on. You got your hand over. Say again. How are we, gents? Yeah, there you go. Can hear you now. Must have had your hand over the microphone. We're well. Oh, good. Where are we up to? Oh, me and Phil were just chatting about nothing in particular. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Just shoot, shooting the breeze. Uh, oh, how is um, Beth Garrett, Phil? Um, so we, we had two absolutely glorious days cracking the flags. And today we have had... Uh, is it possible to have more than four seasons? We've had intermittent, so. intermittent sunshine, um, high winds, heavy rain... And biblical sleet at, at one extended point. So, um, yeah, it, a bit of a mixed bag today. Excellent. J, well, you, JB, you, JB, no one, no one cares uh, where I am because we, the listeners all already know that. But no one knows <laughs> where, you, no one knows where you are. So tell, tell us, tell everyone what you are up to. How, how, how much detail would, how much detail would you like to know? All of it. Although um, I've only got about six more minutes, so then you have to keep keep going after I disappear. Mm. So I'm in a theme park in Holland called Efteling. Now I told my wife, I told her many many times, I do not want to go to Efteling, no matter what the cost, and particularly not on this weekend. So as you identified, Phil, the weather in North Wales has not been great today. I think it worse tomorrow. And this week, my boat, the Phyllis Mabel, went on the water for the first time in two years. Much to the worry of the harbour master, he was looking at it thinking, that boat should not be on the water. But there she is, she's on the water. So the tide of this boat decided to come harbour. And like you say, it's been great weather. And then on Tuesday, it is forecast storms. So <laughs> what they said is, put it on the harbour wall, We'll check it for leaks and whatnot. So far, it's sound. And then after that, we'll move on to swing mooring. Now, swing mooring is fine. If you have a bit of a storm, swings around, no big deals. But against harbour wall, it's going to get smashed against the harbour wall, and then we've got a real problem. So I said no to this holiday, God knows how many times. And on Sunday, when it looked like I was going to lose, lose this argument, it dawned on me that my, my boat was on harbour wall without any fenders on it. So bank holiday, bank holiday Sunday, I had to beg, steal, and borrow on Facebook Marketplace to get fenders on, on my boat. Thank God I've managed to do it. Oh, but, good uh, work. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not overly confident that boat will still be on the harbour wall by, by the time that I get back. Well, JB, just, just as you've been speaking, I'm looking out of the window, and I'm probably, I don't know, 20, 30 miles, 20 miles away from your boat, where it's currently yeah. sat now. There was just... Uh, the sky lit up, big lightning. I don't know if you heard it, picked it up in the background. There was then a roll of thunder. So the storm is coming in. Don't. I, don't, <laughs> I could not be more miserable. <laughs> um, so tell but, us about your Dutch theme park, because we know, and as, as Phil mentioned earlier on the podcast, uh, JB, unlike most people, hates holidays. I hate holidays. I hate holidays so profoundly. hate skiing. I hate theme park. I hate being taken away from my routine. But, hey, boys, been a massive, massive up, um, upswing in my fortune. First thing I did when I got here, I've not been to theme park yet. I hired a bike. 
I took this bike and I found a CrossFit gym. I did my first walk this evening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fair play. Rugby club next. I got 100 kilogram push press for three because, you know, I can and it's a new gym and I'm showing off. What of it, no, boys? Were, were you topless <laughs> at the time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good lad. Of course I was. How else do you do CrossFit? <laughs> what, what's well, the I average did... what's the average Dutch crossfitter like are they just like British crossfitters with camouflage and all the like neoprene knee supports and all that yeah I don't get the knee support thing I get many things in crossfit I don't get knee supports um, yeah pretty much pretty uh, ubiquitous crossfitters some are in good shape some are in horrific shape pretty standard stuff actually <laughs> well I, I did JB I was thinking of you this afternoon when I did my standard holiday workout I kind of did. Oh God, the rain is started now. It is. It's Stop rough it, out Phil. there. Please um, don't. I did my standard uh, a brief jog walk because I'm kind of rehabbing, and then went to the local playground and did 100 chin ups and then left. Wow. Right. Standard holiday. Um, get a sweat on. I've done that. Standard standard holiday. Get a sweat on many times with you, mate. Many many times. Love it. Absolutely. And we'll do it again soon. Yeah, as long as it's not in a theme park. <laughs> well, we got right, invited um, to. We got an email. I know Phil's got to go, but uh, just on that front, somewhere that you could end up doing a a uh, standard holiday wad. We got yes. invited to. Um, where was it? I'll, I'll get the email up. But it's somewhere I did not expect to get an invite to a rugby event, and yeah, in Iraq. Wow! Wow! The pack has contacted us. Like- yeah, Let on. me be the first to say I won't be going. But wow, <laughs> Kurdistan, Kurdistan rugby or on on Facebook, they said to to get in touch with them there. But it's a semi autonomous region. That, that, uh, region they highlight that it's very safe. Uh, they have a tournament happening at the end of April. We'll, we'll keep out an eye out for the results. And um, mm-hmm. they just said consider consider coming. They've got the uh, Celtic Vienna Old Boys coming out for the weekend. Awesome, and the Syrian national team is going to be coming out as well. So there'll be at least three teams and um, maybe we'll take the egg chasers out there sometime. We've got some guys that have seen Iraq before in our team, in our team. If, um, if Matt Warwick comes, I'll be, I'll be down. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe I've got the wrong, wrong end of the stick here, but what's the rooftop bar scene like in Kurdistan? <laughs> well, it, he, after the games on this particular weekend, uh, the the message said that teams can then opt to disperse into Erbil's nightlife, uh, yeah. or or head off to the mountains for some breathtaking scenery on a Saturday night. No, um, not not interested, not interested in that. So check out, uh, <laughs> d- look, just have a Google of what Erbil's um, rooftop bar situation is. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. I mean, if it's somewhere that we've not discovered yet, I'm I'm up for um, breaking new ground. But it have to be impressive. Right, I'm I'm gonna go and Google that while you boys take this home. All right, Phil. Cool. Nice one, bud. Thanks, guys. See you soon. In a bit. See you, mate. Oh, and then there were two. Did you manage to watch any rugby, JB? Um, I watched a lot of rugby actually. How about you? Yeah, as much as I possibly could. Were so, you, how, I mean, how did again, you manage to watch rugby and get your boat on the water and travel to Holland? Um, the exceptional BT Sport app. So I watched the game on Friday night, which I loved. I thought it was a great game. I watched the Saracens game, and I saw 
bits of Exeter, quite a lot to lose. But on Saturday, it's more like dipping in and out of it on Saturday rather than really focusing. Well, that's perfect then. Phil and I have kind of um, spoken quite a bit about the Exeter game uh, already. Well, the one I was really interested in, to be honest, was it was the Tigers game. So I watched that with you know with quite a bit quite a bit of detail, and you know I thought the Tigers were very impressive, and I worry a little bit about Leinster. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned to Phil, I think you were in agreement on this that you you quite liked the matchup from a Leicester point of view and thought they could spring a bit of a surprise. Well, Here's the thing, right? I think Leicester are really, really well coached. Now, they are not as good as their counterparts in Leinster. There's no way to avoid it. The Leinster players, man for man, are brilliant. That, that said, Leicester have recruited well. And if you look at them just as names, maybe those names are a bit past it, but they're still some very good names. But they just don't have that raw firepower and they don't have it in the absolute prime. That said, I thought some of the play of... Um, Leicester was absolutely brilliant. I thought the way that they dragged Leicester into playing the game that they wanted was exactly what they needed to do. And if I had a if I had a problem with what Leicester went and did, it was the fact that they're not clinical enough in the, in that final quarter. So think about what Leicester's trying to do. They're trying to build pressure. They don't play any rugby until they get the territory. But when they get that territory, in my opinion, they have to score. It has to be like a rugby league attack. And it has to be super, super sharp. And it's just not sharp enough. I would agree with you there. It was almost like um, they kind of have their... They, they have their few phases, have a go. And if they don't get it, they go to the air and box kick and try and recover possession. Yeah. But what, what was odd, though, on the occasions when they did recover possession and the box kick worked out, it was then they kind of... At that point, they sort of went, uh, right, I don't know what to do now. And that was yeah, the exactly. point, exactly as you say, when they have to just go, right, okay, we've got it back. Let's just have a crack. Yeah, and they didn't. And it's like little things like missing, missing lineouts, and there's all sort, all sorts of stuff. And they look very uncomfortable when the when the game is when the game is break, breaking up. I think, that, you know, for Leicester in particular, um, their most important player on Friday night, Tommy Tommy Rafael. Tommy Rafael was mm. absolutely remarkable, remarkable single handedly. I think he blunted Lancers. Attack. Um, on the Leinster side, though, I tell you what, I don't watch much Leinster because they don't play in the league that I watch. And it's only a European Cup that you see them, and they don't always play all their players, so on and so forth. I, I, this is no, not news to anyone, but Gary Ringrose is some player. Incredible. He is. He is some player. My word. Right, he just seemed like... I, I'm not sure he's the best player on the park, but the way the, way the boy runs and... Cuts up, cuts up open space. It's tr- truly remarkable. Mm. No argument there. No argument yeah. there whatsoever. Um, I've just got. I'm just going to jump through some emails as we're going. Um, contact yeah. chasers at gmail dot com. Oh, in fact, actually, no. Let me ask. Let me ask you this because you sound JB like you're you're in a better you're in a happier place talking about rugby this week. No, I'm making a conscious effort not to let down our listeners by actually trying to watch, trying to watch the sport. And I've had quite a few people on uh, Twitter and other mediums contact me saying, "You're so negative." To which I usually just respond, "Please, please unsubscribe," because I'm not going to be around for long. So um, I thought, no, no, 
try and be positive. And actually, it's not that hard to be positive about rugby when you're watching the European Cup quarterfinals because it was quality rugby. Yeah, quite. Agreed. Agreed. Um, And to watch those French teams too, it warms the heart. It warms the heart. It it must have warmed your heart looking at our email inbox if you checked it out. A lot of people um, sharing your pain at at where rugby's at and the crossroads it's at and, and... and just saying how much the last 10 years has been a part of their life. I've not looked at the emails, but that is, that is lovely to hear. You should. You should, mate. I think you'd, you'd realise that um, frustrating, as things, frustrating as things are at the minute, you, like you, you, you make a difference to people's lives, which sounds like, a, sounds like a ridiculous, it sounds like a massive over-the-top sentimental thing to say, but it's quite, it's clear that it's, Genuine. Well, what I'll do then is I'll look at the emails and I'll cross-reference them with our Patreon list and we'll, and we'll see whose money is where the mouth is. <laughs> yeah, you can always support the podcast if you appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Eggchasers. It's a great Empty point. Platitudes. I also like the fact that our email is a, there's, there's a place for some um, pedantry as well. Got an email here that says blah. Uh, and this is from Rod. Uh, Rod Callan. Nice one, Rod. He says... Um, in last week's pod, Phil referred to a rolling mall from a game that he'd seen. It was clearly a driving mall. Later, you all commented on a 14-man rolling mall in an untelevised game. Now, because Phil used the rolling mall description incorrectly, I don't know if the latter was a driving mall or a good old-fashioned rolling mall, thus demonstrating the need for accurate descriptions, something a quantity exactly surveyor right. should know well. The incorrect rolling mall terminology has been used by, by Aussie commentators and at least once by the head of BBC Rugby. Interestingly, I've seen a few mini rolling malls make a comeback lately. What will we call them if if we have bastardised the term to describe the roll the driving mall? This incorrect terminology, and he's joking here, obviously, literally oh, boils cool. my piss. Right. Okay. What is he saying? So we're trying. Are we trying to distinguish between a driving mall and a rolling mall? Correct. And he's saying that that we're we're describing a driving mall as a rolling mall when it's in fact a driving mall. So a, a rolling mall, because we don't really see them much now. No, you don't see them the anymore. Ball comes to the back and then it sort of rolls to its side, doesn't it? And splinters off into mall, a new one. Yes. So I would say I would say the rolling mall isn't that common, but the more common version, like the the descendant of the rolling mall, the shift drive is becoming increasingly common. So you've got the driving mall, the the shift driving mall. And occasionally the rolling mall, but it, it isn't that frequent. And I don't know why. Yeah, it's curious. Well, you're the line-out expert. That's one for you to ponder. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll do what I do with all my questions. I'll just I'll just ask Glenn Delaney and pretend it's t- um, and then pretend it's uh, <laughs> pretend it's my knowledge. Oh, you, did you still call him? How's he doing? He's all right. I mean, last time I called him, he was in where was he? Fucking he, New Zealand now. Well, last time I called him, he was doing work on a consultancy basis in Japan and was in a, he was in a quarantine, ho- a quarantine hotel. So he, he was actually happy to hear from me and, and talk. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the few upsides of the whole COVID period. Exactly Gl- right. Glenn Delaney exactly right. answered his phone to you. Glenn Delaney. <laughs> right. Talk to me about Toulouse then. Cause that's the game that I didn't see live and I just watched uh, highlights of and watched back as much as I could. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Talk to me about that. 
a really competitive game to the point that I thought so at one point Toulouse might be, might be in trouble. And then last 10 minutes, they just absolutely blew them away. Um, in my opinion, oh my word. Yeah, let's talk about this guy. So occasionally there are players that are just, I don't know if they're the best in, the best in their position, but certainly their form suggests that they're very special. Thomas Ramos is 100% in in that category at the moment, some of the things that he that he does on the field are remarkable. Whether he can c- continue this, I don't know. But in Toulouse, it's all about Anton Dupont, and rightly so. Again, he did some magical things again. Um, but Thomas Thomas Ramos was was absolutely brilliant. He he's an incredible, incredible player. Um, he, he had one. He had a wobbly moment when he was he was done by. Uh... Hugo Keenan in the Six Nations, but yep. he got better and better through the Six Nations, was one of the best players, and yeah, he was outrageous at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um I I think probably the biggest takeaway from all of these games is the value that the South Africans have bought. And I was like Ethan, I didn't think they were I didn't think that they should be there. Now I mean, the Sharks didn't do particularly well against Exeter, but to get Stormers, to, you know, sorry, get... Stormers, yeah. Oh, Sharks, Stormers against Exeter. Exeter. Sharks were to lose. That's right, yeah. Um, but just to get there, I mean, for these two teams to get to a European Cup quarterfinal, that's very, very impressive. I don't know how the money works or how the finances breaks down, but uh, you look at these South African teams and they're legit. They are full of stars. And they seem to be attracting their stars back from Europe to go and play in South Africa. I never expected this to happen, but they ha- they are producing some great rugby and some great teams. Yes, but I, still, I still have reservations. I I think it's been, it's a net positive when I thought it would be a net net negative, but I still have massive issues. The fact that teams don't send first teams down to South Africa, they just send the dregs to go and get panned in most cases and it just the, the, the distance is is crazy but I can't argue with it and, and I think what it has done for the URC teams and you can see this with Scarlet's reaching the semi-final um, mm. Glasgow reaching the semi-final of the Challenge Cup uh, the two South African teams in there is that, that there is legit opposition more regularly than there was yeah complete, completely agree on that I'm with you as well on the reservations. I mean, I'm not sure it's worked. I just want to praise the individual teams themselves for showing up and playing good rugby. I'm still a bit, a bit suspicious of the format, of the travel, of the cost, of everything, really. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now, on the French TV directors, it's become a bit of a kind of long-standing joke, but there is legitimately a potential issue here if this sort of thing can happen during a Rugby World Cup. What sort of thing? The influence of like host TV directors in that Toulouse game not being able to or or apparently not deeming it worthwhile to show replays of potentially uh, potential foul play of Toulouse players but having every single replay slow motion again and again and again until the referee spots it uh, for for non-French players. And I just wonder, it's getting to the point, and I don't want it to get to this, but it's getting to the point where I'm almost thinking we shouldn't have replays on the big screens. 
Well, the way I would look at this is if you want to solve the problem of French home advantage and French directors, win more games in um, in the pool stage and you'll never have to go to France. That's what I would say. If you leave it in... I mean, if you leave it to the hands of the French directors, they're going to be French. Um, it's home advantage. Now, yeah, is it a great thing? No, but I'm not going to get, going to get too upset about it. Um, it's well within ERPC's uh, grasp to change things in order to make sure that, you know, at least their um, video refs get the, right, get, get the right images. As for the replays... I think you're absolutely entitled to put whatever you want on the big screen if it G's up your crowd. I wouldn't be opposed to maybe photoshopping stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I guess the, re- the the refs have just got to have the guts to ignore it. Yeah, exactly. So Kong Dixon didn't, did he? That's quite interesting. So when there's a kick about to be taken, he's like, hang on a minute. Now, I don't know which way that went. I don't know if that was, a, I think it was a Sharks try. A store, whichever, whichever one it was. Yeah, sharks. But they were about to take the conversion. Going, hang on a minute. Uh, forward pass, it was forward pass, uh, and the crowd went wild and they started booing and all that good stuff. So yeah, it does make a difference. But home advantage should make a difference. Yeah, that, that's fine in a Champions Cup, but a Rugby World Cup, there is no way you can avoid the game being in France. Yes, that's a very good point. Actually, that's not home advantage. That's not home advantage, is it? That just happens to be luck of the draw. Well, it, well, it is home advantage, but it's not one that you've earned. Yes, yes. So that's slightly different. Um, have to see how it pans out. What did you think about the, the that Toulouse pack with Thibaut Flamont at seven, Mayafu in the second row, who's like Will <laughs> Will Skelton's clone? Yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? And also, he's kind of French in some ways, I understand. He, he qualifies for France uh, in the summer, if, or, or around about now, I think, on residency. Yeah, he's always been called up to a squad. I mean, Yes, he, he was training with them during the Six Nations, but he wasn't able to play for them during the Six Nations. Right. I, think yeah, that's, not, I think that's correct. Yeah, it's a, it is a very good pack. I, I love the front, front options. The guy that I love is um, Malvaka. I, I love how he... Uh, how he plays all all energy but the fact that they can rotate Malvaka um, and basically you know Alderghari all those other front front row boys it's the front row options I think Marchand Julia Marchand off the bench I know great isn't it thing thing of wonder now I saw something interesting today and I don't think it was accurately reported I don't think I'm not saying the figures are wrong but I don't think they were contextualised Oh, I think Phil and, Phil and I touched on this. So yeah, so I think we've just before you came on, we were talking about that th- those numbers for the France versus Premiership. Is that what yeah, you're referring to? Okay, so you so you, you don't well. need to explain all of it. Just jump straight in on the bit that you think was not contextualised. Well, I'm absolutely certain you would have said this, but obviously the Premiership deal, uh, TV deal, th- a third of that goes to CVC. Yes. So whatever they're saying that they get, a third of it goes to CVC. All right. Never forget- do you know what I'm gonna? Do you know what I'm gonna say, JB? When me and Phil were quite coy about what we were talking about when you uh, when you arrived on the pod, but as you, as you will hear if you listen back, but well, I just spoiler alert for you, um, we were basically saying, JB, fair play on that one because nobody at any Premiership club, nobody at Premiership rugby, nobody at the RFU, no pundits, no broadcasters, no newspaper journalists. Well, uh, it's great news. It's great news. 
great news. This is great, isn't it? Brilliant. Look at this. Well done. Well, and you were and and people a lot of people I think wrote it off as just JB being JB being cynical. But that that headline that I sent to you on Tuesday from the Telegraph, I think it was, saying that not even that there's a correlation, saying there is a causation between Premiership Rugby yeah, having a, a doubling its debt and the CVC deal, and they they made a causal link between the two. Like rugby yeah. is rugby in England is significantly worse off because of the CVC deal. Yeah, so let's just think about the CVC deal a second. Okay, I wasn't the only one saying it. There was one other guy definitely vocally saying it, and a man with a lot of influence and a lot of experience, and I'm amazed he did not get more traction. Mark Evans, who I think is one of the keenest minds in rugby when it comes to the business of rugby, he knows his apples. I don't think I agree with him on everything, but certainly the vast majority of things I think he's right on. He was saying about this when when we discussed it, it was like it's a basic securitization deal. You know, it's no different to what Leeds United did. It's no different to what Barcelona are doing now, and that will end in tears. So, you know, uh, you, you can't live on capital. You have to have income. Uh, any good financial advisor can tell you that, and that's what the Premiership Rugby did. They said, "Look, give us some capital, and we'll try and try, try and live off it." And they've done a very peculiar deal where CVC get all the benefits of being an actual shareholder. But none of the downsides. They get the perception of being a bondholder. Uh, it's a remarkably good deal for CVC and a remarkably bad deal for rugby. And, you know, I, look, I had, metaphorically, um, Premiership Director of Comms, Paul Morgan, who has now moved on, thank God, over a barrel over this. And he could not understand the most basic details of any of what I was saying, from pressures of inflation to securitization, just couldn't couldn't answer any of the details. So not only was it a stupid deal to start with, it was communicated so horribly to everybody in the game. And, well, rightly so, actually, because I think if anyone realised exactly what was going on, then um, you know, there would have been an uproar. About well, whilst I don't believe anyone in the in in the in the comms business in rugby has covered themselves in glory, I I will just sort of say I don't. I think if the people that brokered the deal didn't see that this was a bad deal, you can't expect someone who is in charge of the Twitter accounts and YouTube channels and stuff to <laughs> to, to be the person that that blows the whistle on how how poor a deal it is. Do you know what I think that they were they were try, trying to do? Sorry, eating my tea like a true professional. Um, I think they were trying to... Okay, so two two things. Let, let me start with a different thing. I will just make an excuse for them all, which is COVID was a real thing that happened to rugby. And it was devastating, and it has hurt even the best-run clubs. Okay? That's the first thing that I'd say. Second thing that I really think was these rugby clubs wanted to get the CVC money, in some cases invest in infrastructure, in other cases they wanted to win the league now, which blow all the money, but they wanted to do so so they could sell their club. So you either sell your club by selling at the top when you've won something, or by having a new stadium, or a big screen, or a hotel, or whatever it might be. There were some clubs that spent it wisely. I think Exeter were one, and I think that... They are a classic example of COVID catching up with them. And even so, they 
are still trying to make it work. You know, you've got to admire what X did, did with their cash. Everybody else, not not really. Mm. Oh, talking of Exeter, Exeter, I'm sure we've touched, touched, touched on, on this game. How amazing was it to finally see Sandy Park full? And I bet you that had no small effect on the outcome of that game. 100%. Uh, yeah, no, I did mention exactly that, that JB was, was, was really hoping last week that you were saying that you really hope Sandy Park can get full. Yeah, it was packed to the rafters and an awesome performance. From a from a team that when you just look at the names on the team sheet versus the, the Stormers, you're like, if you just looked at the teams and guessed, you would think, nah. Tom Wyatt well, and Marcus Street and uh, are not going to beat Stephen Kitts off and co. Looks like they did, though. Looks like they did. Looks like um, we played the game for a reason. In fact, if we knew the score, we wouldn't bother playing. Yes. Agreed. That was awesome. That was a, a wonderful. That was my favourite bit of the weekend watching that game, and that's that's, that's even saying I had the you know I was lucky enough to be in the Aviva Stadium. I was I was uh, yeah, it was great. So there is one other thing from that Times report which I'd like to point out. Yeah, go on. Which is they claim that the average salary of the Premiership is like one hundred seventy something thousand. Now I don't know how that comes to that figure, but I can tell you right now they are. Miles off. Yeah, Mile, Phil. Phil broke it down and was, and probably Phil was like, "I would have to. They could only have come up with that if they did this, 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 and this." Yeah, because we were both raising our eyebrows. But I'm sure you've spoken to enough players and DORs and stuff that you know how wide the market is. Yeah, I mean, there is hardly. If you're paid that amount of money, you're probably in the top five earners in your squad now, except Bristol. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the yeah. top five earners in that club earn much more, and everyone else earns much less. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, I think the most frequently paid salary in the Premiership is forty-two thousand. There are lads that can play both sides of the scrum. They're paid forty-two thousand, which I think is it's just just not enough money. It's not enough money for the risk that they're having to take. If I was in charge of Premiership rugby or the RPA, I'd be saying, yeah, you can have your salary cap, but you also give us a, a, a minimum salary, and that minimum salary must be 80 grand or, or 90 grand. You know, I was advising a player not so long ago, I'm so proud of this advice, but I'm also so upset that he never took it. And I said, look, you must go in there. And this was, was it pre-COVID or start of COVID, just to sort of date it. And he had his new deal on the table. And I said, look, Take five grand off that, but in exchange, tell him that you want inflationary rises. And he's like, oh, I don't know, kind of want five grand, didn't do it. Yeah, that would have been very, very smart advice. I know, I know. Never mind, never mind. Um, did you see any of Saracen's La Rochelle? Yes, I did. Um, a very impressive performance by La Rochelle. A very not poor performance, but it wasn't the best Saracens that I've seen. That offload from Gregory Aldrit to let in nine for the try was just outrageous. I mean, yeah, they're just a good team, aren't they? They're just, yeah. I mean, everyone knows they're big, they're heavy. Uh, I, the worrying thing is, I guess, the same with Leicester Tigers. Like everyone says the English teams are failing and they're not as powerful as they used to be. And there is definitely some truth to that. But the names that Saracens put out should be, on paper, some of the best in the world. So when you've got England's best forward in Mario, I mean, he's not 
on form, but he is the best forward. When you've got the England captain, when you've got a sprinkling, you know, the, uh, the England hooker, uh, Mako and Billy, uh, you know, all of these little individual bits everywhere. Ben Earl is probably the, one of the best players in the Premiership. And they were so far off the pace. So far off the pace. They couldn't deal with anything that Lara Shell threw at them. When Lavani Bottier steals, what, three penalties back to back to back? I think, yeah, they're in for uh, hiding here because those are the small details that you expect Saracens and their analysts to be all over, and they weren't. Yes. Uh, Jamie Street, by the way, on email, contact headchasers at gmail.com, uh, just email, has emailed us and just said, Bit of bit of genius, bit of magic. Lavani Bottier, very good. Yes, very interesting. Three cheers for Lavani Bottier. Very good, very good. <laughs> he was very Love good. It. He was exceptional. I did think that it was. Who was the referee for this one? Was it uh, yeah. Andrew Brace? Andrew, yeah. It Let's Andrew... just talk about Andrew Brace. Yeah. So I saw, I saw some things. Did I think he was terrible? I don't think he was great. I think it's hard, hard for referees to be consistently good all the time. Now, I'm not a rugby values guy. Okay? I'm not going to lecture you about rugby values. I don't think that they exist. I think the RFU are possibly the worst example of, of, of rugby values. But that said, I just don't criticise referees. I don't think Andrew Bryce maybe had a great game. I don't think he had a terrible game. And I certainly don't think he should be like demonised by the very people that talk about rugby values all the time online, like journalists and whatnot. I just think, you know, he did, he did, he did his best. Uh, and it wasn't that bad. You know, Saracens could have won that game if Saracens were better. Not if um, not if Bryce made a few different decisions. Completely agree. I completely agree with that. And one, one observation I would make is, I think Andrew Brace did just kind of let things go a bit at the breakdown. But rather than just purely moaning about that, which a lot of people did, it was Wild West and Larachelle was slowing the ball up all over the place, hands in, whatever. They were doing everything they could. But the referee wasn't blown up for it. So smart teams recognise where the where the lines are, adapt and deal with it. And that's what Saracens did not do. And that's on them. Yeah, I mean, one of the few times I ever received good coaching at Broughton Park, we played this game uh, because... We were we were beat on the weekend, and we were beaten because we were whinging to the ref about decisions, particularly around the breakdown. So they set up like a five meter by five meter drill. Maybe no, maybe maybe two and a half meter by two and a half meter. It was a small small sort of square. And I said, right, boys, here's a ball, go rock. And within seconds, right, people are appealing for decisions and all sorts of stuff. And the whole point of the drill was, even though we were told to go and rock, it wasn't being enforced. And we were going to see how we reacted. No laws around the ruck. Do we start throwing punches? I mean, you know, if there's no laws, by all means, start throwing punches. Do something, but don't whinge. Play to what you see. And it was um, exactly that which Saracens didn't do. They yeah. didn't adjust. I, I I agree with that, and that's that's the one part of it. I, I wasn't surprised that Saracens lost. I wasn't disappointed they lost. I think they they. It would have been nice. I'm glad there's an English team in the semi-finals, and I'm I'm more elated that Exeter are there than disappointed Saracens aren't. But I think they yeah. could have won it, but I think the the, yeah, the defeat was on them, and they're playing against a very good team and the defending champions at home. Yeah, they're champions for for a reason. Looking at all the teams that played this weekend, I think they're going to be champions again. You think? Yeah, yeah. So they're they're playing in Bordeaux. 
against Exeter, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're more than likely to make it to the final. Exeter, Exeter have done incredibly well to get where they are. The other semi-final is so hard to call Leinster-Toulouse. What a game. I think uh, Toulouse will smash them. You think? Yeah, I 100% think that. And you know, oh, Toulouse played the top 40. They know what it is to, to, to lose games. They know what it is to have to play hard. Leinster don't know this. Leinster are... Leinster remind me of when the All Blacks were in their pomp and they'd say things like, you know, we have a no-dickhead policy or, you know, whatever the, whatever, whatever the thing is. They're very good, but they're seldom challenged. Toulouse are very good and they're always challenged. And that's the difference. Like, Toulouse have lost plenty of games. This, well, so plenty of games. They've lost games this, this year. And not because they've played a weakened team. They've lost games because they've played good teams. I just don't see that with um, with Leinster. And, you know, watching them against uh, Leicester, my thought was, yeah, good team, amazing players. Are they really that well coached? I mean, are they really pushing the coaching to the boundaries of what the game can produce? Because I don't think, think that they are. Leinster. They look incredibly, yeah, I think they yeah. look incredibly conventional. Oh, I don't know. What, what Leinster do unbelievably well is the speed that they play at they they all run that yeah it's it's a, it's a totally um conventional shape in today's standards yeah, is, with yeah. the with the one man at the head of a little diamond or what the the playmaker out the back if you want him the two forwards but it's just the speed that they go from and the speed that they reassemble that shape and go again repeatedly yeah. is that's the impressive bit it is. So I would say about Leinster, they are a really, really good conventional team with exceptional basics. And I think yes. it's those basics that allow their players to express themselves in the way that they do. So the question then becomes, well, what happens if we take those basics away from them? What happens if we slow down their rucks? What happens if we take their rucks away? What happens if Tommy, Tommy Raphael is backed up by a team of absolute monsters like the La Rochelle pack? What if Larishel keep the ball and start keep running over them over and over and over again, or indeed to lose them? And I don't think to lose, I don't think Leinster are going to know what that what what that's like until it happens. Now, alternatively, Leinster can actually show up and steamroll anyone. They can be out of sight by by half time if things if things go well. But I'm not convinced that that, that, that that's going to happen. The one massive test in that to lose Leinster game is going to be can to lose break down Leinster's defence because that Leinster defence is phenomenal it really is and just be, being at the ground as I was and just you just I sat and because the, the game was beyond doubt and I I spent a few minutes just watching Hugo Keenan and yeah he talks all the time tells his wingers where yeah. to be you he is moving constantly and I was at, I was kind of in awe at him I've 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 played with what I thought were Good fullback. Well, I've played with good fullbacks at the level I played at. Yeah. But this this guy makes other people around him so much better. And what he does for the team is he may only have half a dozen or ten physical involvements in a game during a match, but he is absolutely world class. His, yeah, his rugby we... his rugby brain is as good as I've seen. So the amazing thing is when he first burst onto the international scene. Is because Ireland had no fullbacks. They were really, really, really short. 
And people had loads, loads of question marks about, can he do it? I, did he not come off the wing? He's not always been a fullback. Yeah, you're right, because Jordan Lama was the boy, wasn't he? Yeah. Does he still exist? Is, is, is he still a thing? Yeah, he played in the round of 16 last week. Um and or he was on the bench last week. He wasn't involved this time. He's he's still yeah, he's still around. Um Crikey. Yeah. God, I wonder if he's gonna I wonder if Jordan Lawmill will be like the I mean, he's already exceeded the, the, this guy, but like the Irish version of Steph Evans. <laughs> it's not a bad shout. Jordan Lama's good at a lot of things. He just has the odd little bit of his game that isn't quite as great and next to other Irish players and now Jimmy O'Brien coming through yeah mm. and you're so you're so right that the all of the basic skills are exceptional and the ability to make the right decision attack and defence is incredible and and I think Stuart Lancaster's leaving at the end of the season I, I think that's his legacy I think what we're seeing is Stuart Lancaster because well, let's see how we get on in the top top fourteen because I have my reservations. Well, what I mean is he he did that with England's young players. He he was responsible for a generation of brilliant young English players that got them to a World Cup final. Who's Saracens? Uh, you know, Mark McCall obviously at Saracens takes a massive amount of credit, but it was the basis of the Saracens team that won three European Cups and five Premierships. And Stuart Lancaster was brilliant at that, and he. This is this is his team playing his way, and the skills that we're seeing in these young players that have come through is uh, will mm. I guarantee will be a result of the systems that he put in place when he arrived. So here's here's what I think. Okay, I think Stuart Lancaster's legacy will be trophies that Leinster win when he's left. Right. So I don't. He is the guy. Like you say, he's developed all these guys and they're all very happy and they're talking about culture and talking about getting better and it's a very happy camp and they're all rotating. But what I think is going to happen next or what they need next is someone who is all about winning. Not about development, but winning. Getting the best out of the squad, making them into the best club team that's ever walked the face of the earth, which is actually what they should be aiming for. And they're not that. They're not because they've only won the Champions Cup but once in 11 years. Yeah, once well, Stuart, if Stuart Lancaster leaves with one European crown, Heineken Cup crown, that, that I don't think will be enough. I don't think it's enough. I really don't think it's enough. So I think he'll go to Racing. I think um, he's going to have a rude awakening there because he's not going to have time to develop lads. He's not going to be given as much leeway and protection as he's in, as he, as he is in Leinster. But it's undeniable he's very good at some things. But I just don't think it's the sharp end competitive edge of rugby. Mm-hmm. I well, think yeah. that's you hand it over to like a Warren Gatland or someone who doesn't care about it. someone who doesn't quite care about how good you're going to be in three years' time. They care about winning now, and that's not Lancaster. Lancaster's too conscientious uh, uh, for that. Too much of a, a long-term guy. It will be interesting to see him as the head honcho again. Whether he can do yeah. that, I, I still think the redemption arc of Stuart Lancaster's got uh, got a long way to play out yet. Still young as a as a coach. Yeah, it has got a long way to play out, but which way is it going to play? Mm. And, and, that's, and that's the interesting part. It's going to be interesting to watch. Indeed, um, indeed. Any more for any more? What, what's the what's the chat going on at Disby Talk H? Season over? Don't know. I've left all the player groups. Of um, I've I've stopped rugby altogether. Really? Layla said to me, yeah, Layla said to me um, today. Oh, look, that guy's got a uh, club rugby top on. So like, don't care. I don't play. And then we just moved on. It was liberating. 
that was one thing that was interesting. Um, I was uh, chatting with Kate when we were out for a walk the other day, and she reminded me of a time when I think I'd just been really busy with work, and the, the work was weekend, so I wasn't able to play, so I hardly ever played. And I went along with her to like a hot yoga class, just went along, and the the person running the class was just sort of talking to me and asking me questions. And I said, oh, yeah, I play rugby. And she went, Tim, you haven't played rugby in two and a half years. <laughs> but but that I that but that identity is something yeah. you you st- I still call myself a rugby player even though I no, haven't I... played in ages because that that's an identity so it's it's quite it's quite a hard thing to I thought it would be but I just don't say it. I just don't mention it now I just just don't say I'm a rugby player just, just don't bother I'm a CrossFit wanker that's it CrossFit wanker absolutely CrossFit I'm a wanker who does CrossFit so I think the the big difference is. CrossFit makes a lot of people into wankers. Well, I I arrived at CrossFit <laughs> as a wanker, so yeah, I I don't I don't quite have that identity. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, what's on the yeah. agenda for your theme park holiday? I, I thought it was going to be. I know a lot of people that go over to Holland to this kind of like a Dutch version of centre parks. They're quite a bit cheaper than the UK ones, apparently. But so well, I don't... so far, I've seen none of the park. I don't know what, what happens in there. I've seen a roller coaster from distance. Don't really like roller coasters. Don't really like shows. Don't really like fancy dress. Don't like, well, depends. Um, girls will be excited there, won't they? Go, the girls will, will, well, I mean, they've just come off a bloody all-inclusive ski trip. I, I, don't, I don't know how much like seven-year-olds need, but, you know. <laughs> well. um, so I'll let you know next week, and I'll give you a full debrief of what Efteling is like in Holland. Love it. Right, we'll go back and enjoy your holiday and finish your tea by the look of it. Excellent, mate. All right, take care. Nice one, Jake. Speak soon. Bye-bye. There we go. And then there was one. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it. I'm Tim. This is Egg Chasers. That was JB and Phil. And that is our commitment to bringing you Rugby Chat every single week for nearly 10 years and counting. And hopefully for another 10 years as well uh, with your support by hitting subscribe, uh, by supporting us at patreon.com slash Egg Chasers. And by just, just by generally let, letting the boys play. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.